This episode is brought to you with support from Whole Foods. As our resident Greek girl, I am a sucker for Mediterranean flavors and want you to taste the Mediterranean too. Go to Whole Foods Market now and save on regionally inspired products through March 19th. Find sales on animal welfare certified meat, including boneless, skinless, air-chilled chicken breast, bone-in beef short ribs, ground lamb, and more. Save on whole bronzini and sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon. And stock up on Mediterranean essentials like feta cheese crumbles, whole wheat pita pockets, and if you're over 21, wines from Spain, Greece, and Italy. Grab your ingredients and experiment with family-friendly Mediterranean cuisine today. Think Greek-style ground lamb pitas, lemony oven-roasted chicken, or bronzino, or instant pot short ribs braised in wine. All simple and delicious. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share HomeThreads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. Head over to homethreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Dinner and I Just Feed You, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. Homethreads, love where you live. That's homethreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. Our families have adapted a lot this year. And with creative problem solving, we've discovered new ways to tackle life's day-to-day. Now, we're doing the same through the holidays. In the same way that KiwiCo helped engage our kids through summer and at-home schooling, they're helping fill the holiday season with wonder and ease. Every month, KiwiCo delivers everything you need for hands-on science, art, and geography projects. And with crates available for kids of all ages, they make gift-giving easy for us grown-ups and being home seriously fun for kids during a holiday season that looks different. Each KiwiCo crate is an experience that sparks discovery. When a robot walks, a rocket launches, and a heart beats into a stethoscope that they built, these are magical moments that inspire a lifetime of curiosity and learning. Plus, there's no commitment, so you can pause or cancel at any time, making KiwiCo the no-brainer holiday gift of the year. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with the code D-I-J-F-Y. That's 50% off your first month for every purchase made in November and December at kiwyco.com, promo code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. The great news about this kind of pie undertaking is that you will always have something to show for it. So even if you're in the beginning of your journey and you've never made a pie, you kind of, you know, let that patience play out that very first time, you will still have a pie. So even as you're learning along the way, you still get to enjoy the fruits of your labor, whether you're a beginner or an expert. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. This week's episode is all about pie, and I'm freaking excited about it. Pie, pie, pie. Pie, 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 pie. 
Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe right where you're listening. And if you find yourself with an extra minute, leave us a rating and a review too. The algorithm means that when you rate and review, other busy home cooks can find us better. So thanks a bunch. I'm very excited about this too. I would choose pie over cake almost exclusively. It's a big statement. I don't disagree. You know, I was having a conversation with someone recently who must have read my work to know that I prefer sweet potato pie to pumpkin pie. And then it led to this whole other conversation about they perceived sweet potato pie to be sweeter than pumpkin pie, which I disagree with. And they were like, you just love sweets, don't you? Which is not actually true. Like I love candy and I love baked goods, but in almost every situation where I have a choice, I would choose something savory over something sweet. Like breakfast, I want savory breakfast. And I think that the reason I love pie so much is because it's like a meeting in the middle. The crust is usually not too sweet and then the filling is sweet. And so you get like a little bit of both worlds. That's so interesting because I actually don't bake nearly as much. I don't like candy isn't as a regular part of my life as it is yours. But I have a crazy sweet tooth. Crazy sweet tooth. (laughs) And maybe that's why, maybe I've been like, diet culture has chained me. <laughs> no, like, no. I can't no, have candy in my like house. No, it's just like a taste thing. No, I can't have candy in my, like, I'll eat it all. Not like fruity yeah. candy, like a Swedish fish or lollipops. No, no, no. But like, like Snickers, forget it. Oreos, forget it. Like breakfast, cinnamon rolls over eggs, a hundred thousand percent. What a weird question to ask me. Donuts, pound cake. <laughs> like, I love sweets. Mm. Um, do you know what's a really funny thing I think about lives in my brain rent free, as the internet says, is that we say something is as easy as pie, and pie is actually <laughs> really <laughs> totally difficult. Totally. I think one of the things that's difficult about pie is pie crust. I think people are really intimidated by it. And then also pie is like an immersive world. Like there's custard pies, there's meringue pies, there's fruit pies, there's tarts, galettes, ice cream pies, savory pies. So... Let's play a game where you ask me questions about pie and I answer them as our resident baker. Do you think we could do that and get through all the steps? Sure. Absolutely. And I bet a lot of people will re-listen to this episode around holidays every year that I so am here for sweet potato pie over pumpkin pie. I love it so much. And I have to say that I would guess like Across the board, if you and I were going to do like a bake-off of nearly anything baking, sweets, I would say like, oh, probably Megan's will be better. I'm a much more seasoned, savory cook. That's my specialty. Sweets are not my thing. But my holiday sweet potato pie is friggin' delicious. Oh, no. I feel like you're starting some Stacey. I I am. (laughs) I am. It's the only thing I've got to go toe-to-toe with you on in the sweets department. Maybe we need to have a sweet potato pie off. I'm just saying. Okay. Okay. I'm here for this. As soon as we can be together safely. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. I got, like, I got at the same time when you were just quiet. It's like when your mom gets mad at you. I got, like, excited but, like, titillated. I was like, I did. You're like, oh. The oh, but the then I'm also scared. Is coming. <laughs> it's coming. No, I but think that means I really got fun. her. I love it. Okay. 
as we so, say. So types of pie, you kind of went through the list already. Do you want to kind of just quickly, but a little bit more slowly, go through the list and define the different types of pies? I will try my best. I feel like there's also a little bit of confusion too, which I'll address. And you don't have on this list here, or I didn't say in my original list, chess pie, which chess pie is like a custard pie without the cream. And it is the basis of things like pecan pie, pumpkin pie, chocolate chess pie, sugar pies, buttermilk pies. It's basically like using a mixture of eggs and sugar. And there's a little bit of butter sometimes and then obviously seasoning. But like that mixture of eggs and sugar is what holds together whatever your filling is. So it can be nuts. It can be pieces of chocolate. It can also be fruit purees. It could be fruit juice. So I'm thinking specifically of like lemon meringue pie is technically a chess pie because it doesn't have dairy in it. But then it becomes like a meringue pie because there's meringue on it. So this is like what makes the world of pies very complex. But I would say chess pie in the sweet pie world, chess pie is sort of like the mothership. It is like the pie that if you can master, you can make a hundred different types of pie. And now closely related to that is the custard pie. And this would be like chocolate cream pies, some types of like vanilla and lemon flavored pies where you're basically making either a stirred custard or pudding on the stovetop, or you're making a baked custard, which you bake into the pie shell. And there's almost always dairy in those. And that's what makes it different from the chess pie and makes it a custard pie. And then you have the whole world of fruit pies, which fruit pies, I I think fruit pies are so fun. They get to be like a little bit rustic. They're very seasonal. Like you can make a really beautiful apple pie right now or make pear pie. And then in other seasons, you might make like a tomato pie. And those are related, but different in how you would thicken them. Most fruit pies, like cherry pies, And apple pies are thickened with either flour or cornstarch. And the juices from the fruit is what makes the filling, right, as it cooks. And you can use a similar filling from fruit pies to make things like tarts and galettes very easily. A galette is like just a flat version where you fold the dough over the edges instead of like a double crust or a lattice. Yes, yes, yes. Although... Like a, a galette is that and a tart can actually be like somewhere in between because there are tart pans, right? So you can take like all of the elements of your favorite pie and make it in a tart pan and it will be shorter and flatter. And like a lot of times you get like super flavorful fillings in a tart. So you'll see like a dark chocolate tart a lot because you just want like a sliver of that super rich filling. Okay, and can we talk about a cream pie too where you're, and we'll talk about blind baking or pre-baking a crust, yeah. but you're putting like a pastry cream inside yeah, of a so pie shell. This is this is one of those fun and like confusing things. Chiffon pie and a cream pie are actually both custard pies. So you still make a custard where you're thickening dairy with eggs and cornstarch and maybe you're made a pastry cream really is like the mother of pudding. And so you're like mm-hmm. cooking this filling on the top and in you're blind baking the pie crust. So you're fully baking the pie crust before you add the filling, which also means that you're fully cooking the filling on the stovetop as well. 
Now, cream pies and chiffon pies often also have either just like cream added at the end or they have whipped cream folded into cooled pastry cream or pudding or custard, however you prefer to call that because they're all related, so that it gives it more of a volume. And they're sometimes set with gelatin also, so that way you can cut these like gorgeous slices of chiffon pie that are so tall. You see a lot like on Instagram, the side view of them. And they're so, um, so they're beautiful. And I love that like airier, slightly airier texture. Oh and can we talk about how great the contrast of like that super fluffy filling to like a very tender and flaky crust is? Yes. It's, it's so, so good. So good. Savory pies, I feel like, could almost be a whole other episode if it weren't for the fact that Lauren Co., our guest today, said savory pies are some of her favorites. So I do feel like that's a whole different world. And it's so interesting because I'm going to just throw in a little like something that I've always like kind of pondered and I never really gave deep thought to. But I feel like in a savory pie episode, we could. Being Greek, we have a ton of savory pies. Everybody knows spanakopita or tiropita, which is just a, you know, spinach and cheese pie or a plain feta cheese pie. It's usually in phyllo. Actually, in Greece, you can get things that are baked in a, like, pie shell. It isn't exactly pie crust, but it's a little bit in between pie crust and phyllo dough, but it's something you would roll out. It's not like, I mean, you roll phyllo dough, but you're trying to get these very, very thin layered, layered, layered dough. Anyway, that is called pie. But if you take the same phyllo dough that you use to make your spanakopita and you fill it with custard and drench it with honey, it's not called pie anymore. Although the Greek words for those desserts, like bugatza is one, galoktoburiko is another. These are phyllo dough. One is enclosed. One has a like phyllo on the bottom and phyllo on the top and just the custard in the middle. But we don't use the word pie to describe those desserts when we translate the name. So that's interesting because you didn't talk about phyllo dough for sweet pies. But do you but think you of... can certainly make a crust with... Yeah, especially like tarts are really beautiful if you can bake the tart shell, like use a tart pan and make a tart shell out of phyllo dough and then put like a delicate custard in it. It's an incredibly beautiful, elegant pie. And it's so different than like a rustic apple pie. Is the shape part of what makes you call it a pie? Like if I just put it in a square baking pan. So when my grandma used to make galok de burico, she would take a square baking thing, like the kind of thing I would do like a cake in, and she'd phyllo on the bottom, custard, phyllo on the top, and then you drench it in honey, and then you cut it in diamonds or squares. I think that's still pie. Is it? It's like slab pie-ish? That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. and Because the, then think about like pocket pie. That's still pie. If you take pie crust and wrap it around any kind of filling, savory or sweet, is it not still pie? I don't know. And then so, is I empanada mean, it is. Technically it a is. Pie? Is an empanada is a pie? Is pizza a pie? Is pizza a pie? I mean, is what I really want to know. We call it pizza pie. If you're going with like it's like dough plus fillings or toppings makes pie, then like a lot of things become pie. (laughs) It's existential. Okay. All right. 
So we're kind okay. of, we kind of got, at least for the sweet pies, for now, we have a definition of most of the kinds of pies. Of course, there are so many, like, wild variations. We were just talking about Greek desserts. There was one desserts. thing I wanted to add, Oh, though. yes. Do it. Okay, which is just that, technically, quiche, which is a savory pie, yeah. is a custard pie. Yes, that so makes sense. So it's this weird, yeah. like... We're talked about all these different types of pie, and we said savory sort of separate, and we save it, save it till the end. But technically, a quiche is a, is a custard pie. I just mm, love that. I don't know. I why. love quiche. People say as easy as pie, and already just in types, it's like there's a million different things. I know. Yes. It's okay. We call bullshit on that. Same. <laughs> That's what we're gonna call this episode. It's not as easy as pie. Okay. Let's talk about pastry dough basics, because I really do think that you're right, that this is where people either get intimidated or they trip themselves up. I have done not as much as you in the sweet realm, but I've done enough baking and recipe developing and testing around pies to know that, like, I think half of the tricks, like the cold vodka one is the one that I always makes me laugh the most. I don't think yeah. that's what you need. You need a good basic recipe. I do prefer all butter as well. And cold, 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 fat, cold butter. Like that's what yeah. I found has worked. Again, my pastry, I mean, my pie dough from Make It Easy is one of my favorite recipes. It's and really like, good. I'm not I've a pastry person. So yeah. talk to us about pie dough basics and like if there's anything that you have found, like tricks or like weird ingredients that really are worth it, tell us. Okay. So I'm just never, ever going to be the person that's like, there's a trick to it. Because it's not, there's, there isn't, it's really like a muscle memory type situation where once you start to work with pie dough a lot, you get a feel for what it's supposed to be like when it's cold or when it's gotten too warm, if the butter was cut small enough, or if your water was not warm and, you know, like all these little factors that make the difference between a good pie crust and a great pie crust, right? All of that is muscle memory. I 100% agree that the best pie crust is all-purpose flour, salt, butter. This is a place where I would, I usually am like, just buy cheap butter, you guys. It doesn't make a difference. But I do think in pie crust, buying a higher-end butter like a Kerrygold is beneficial because you have, you have more control over the amount of moisture. All butter has a little bit of water and a little bit of milk fat, which is like actual milk in it. And the higher like quality, the butter is the less of that it has. So then you're really in control. You're like purely just adding butter when you're adding nice butter to pie crust. And And I think this is a place where it makes a difference. Doesn't it have more fat, which is better for pie crust and for flakiness? Exactly. When you push out all that water and milk fat in like a cheap stick of butter, what the difference is, is then you're getting more of the actual butter fat. And that's what makes a pie crust so delicious. So flour, salt, high quality butter, and then water. Yes, you can totally use the vodka trick, but honestly, save that for mama's cocktail. Some people do vinegar, Amen. which is a similar a similar sort of trick where it's supposed to make it more tender and flaky. And there's like a little bit of science behind why people do that. But honestly, like if you can master that four ingredient dough, you'll, you'll be so much better off than if you try to use all these little tricks. I really like 
to make a food processor do. I feel like there's a larger margin for error. So it's like harder to f*** up if you make pie dough in the food processor. I also want to say something. Maybe this will be like when I said I didn't like grapes. <laughs> I actually really like store-bought pie crust. I think that there are some good ones. And I think Tell if us. you're like trying to bake for are. the holidays. Tell us what they are. I will. I will. Okay. So for forever for food styling, I just would always buy the Pillsbury. It's not awesome on flavor, but it's like very relaxed. So if you're making a fill it, like you're making a pie where the filling is what's really going to shine and you want the pie to be sort of like background, I think Pillsbury is really good. And then I also like the Immaculate Baking Company or Trader Joe's and both of them are all butter pie crust. So they're really delicious and they're easy to work with. You know I love a good shortcut. But of all weird things about me, I find that making pie dough in a food processor is actually pretty easy. It's like one of those things that once you make it once or twice with a good, simple, easy recipe and you realize that you don't have to stress, you don't have to be like, oh, is this a good recipe? Like, is this, should I be adding the vodka and blah, blah, blah? Like, it's pretty quick and there's only the food processor to clean up. So I'm like, I tend to make pie crust homemade, but I'm here for your suggestions on shortcuts. I love making pie crust. The reason is also that I feel like it's cheaper. Even if you buy um, nice butter, like pound for pound dough wise, it's way cheaper to like buy your own flour and butter and make it yourself. And pie dough that you make at home freezes beautifully. So I have a really tiny kitchen. We've talked about this before. Most of my kitchen equipment lives in our garage and I have to go out there to get my sand mixer, my food processor. So when I do get my food processor out, I always make like two or three batches of pie dough and get it to the place where it's resting and it's wrapped in plastic wrap where usually you like do that step and then stick it in the fridge. And I just put those rounds in the freezer for the future. So I I honestly find myself making pie dough like two or three times a year and then just using what's frozen in my freezer. Same, same, same Z's. Let's talk about the fat in pie dough for a minute. People talk about grating the butter, and I actually don't like to do that because I think that part of what makes the pie flaky is getting those, like, irregular patches of butter throughout. Like, it's kind of mottled, you know, when you roll out your dough. And if your dough, if your butter, rather, is super cold when you're making it, it's pretty easy to achieve that. But what do you think? Grating cold butter, is that the way to go? No, I think a better trick is adding your fat, whether you're using just butter or using butter and shortening in batches, if you feel nervous about making pie dough. I think in general, like if you're using the food processor, it's hard to overwork it or anything. But this is like something that actually I've learned from making as many batches of biscuits as I have is like everyone wants tender and flaky pie crust. But those things are sort of like in opposition. If you want to make a dough that's really tender, you work all of the butter in before you add any moisture. Whereas if you want a dough that's really flaky, you add the water first. Generally, you add the water first and then you sort of like fold in the butter or work in the butter in small pieces. And so that's why if you are working with a recipe that calls for like adding half of the butter or sometimes like you see a lot 
a shortening shortening recipe where it's like they add the shortening and then they add the butter in pieces. So if you fully incorporate all of the butter before you add the water and you you overwork the butter, you can end up with a pie crust that's just tender. So it's more almost like a cookie crumb, which is really delicious, but maybe not what you're looking for. So adding half of the butter or half of the fat, fully incorporating that. And then even adding your second half of your butter and your little bit of water to bring things together and then pulsing them to combine will give you those flakes or not even flakes, but like those chunks and irregular pieces of butter that you're talking about. So that when you go to roll out your pie dough, you'll have these layers of that butter, those chunks of butter incorporated. And then you will have a pie dough that is both tender and flaky. I actually don't like tender pie crust as much. Obviously, I don't like it tough, but if you achieve flakiness, like I like maximum flakiness, it never feels tough because it's it's breaking apart, but it's kind of sturdy and it has character. I find that when a pie crust is too tender. It doesn't have character. And especially with fruit pies where you have a filling and it's a little like goopy in the best way, that tenderness will kind of like melt in and kind of get like, I don't know, like messy and it doesn't have its own character. It doesn't like stand up to the filling in a way that I really prefer. So I use very cold butter and I add all of it in batches. And I never like fully incorporate any amount of fat. But at the same time, I'm cutting my butter up into different sized pieces so that when I'm rolling it out and it's all mottled like that and I'm seeing those little patches of butter, some of them are very small and close together. So it's close to fully incorporated, but not fully. And then you have a couple pockets of big pieces of butter. And that is what I have found works best for me and what I like. Yeah. I also think that a pie crust that is more flaky versus more tender is easier to work with. Like it's easier to roll out after baking. It's easier to cut into beautiful slices. And if you're going to make a beautiful, elaborate like lattice or if you're going to do like cutouts on top, like we talked about with Lauren, you want a sturdier, a dough that's like easier to work with and it'll hold, a flaky pie crust will give you better decorations in the end, crimping, all of that. Okay. I have one more thing to ask you about fat before we hear from our sponsors. Okay. Okay. We've been talking about butter. You've already mentioned shortening and then there's also lard. Leaf lard is really popular and like famed for making delicious pie crust. I've actually never worked with leaf lard in particular. But why do you prefer butter to the other two? Flavor, 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 flavor. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Speak okay. it, girl. So, Speak it confidently. Yes. I want to say really quickly that the lard that you can find most often in the grocery store comes in like a brick. It's very, very white is not the same thing as leaf lard. Leaf lard is rendered from the animal directly and it's not heavily processed and it has a lot of flavor and it is really beautiful in a lot of pastries, including pie dough, especially if you're going to go the savory route, but it is harder to find. A lot of like restaurants that do it, they make it themselves from the animals that they're butchering on site because it's hard to find. Yeah. It's definitely a butcher item or like a specialty yeah. store item. So so don't go like 
this, you know, if someone's like, oh, it's this leaf lard pie crust and you go and buy like regular lard from the grocery store, you're going to be disappointed in general. The same thing with shortening, like it's heavily processed. It does, it has no flavor. It is manufactured to have zero flavor, but both lard and shortening have less plasticity. This is such a weird, I'm going to get like a little bit geeky, but you know, when you're rolling out your pie dough and you're trying to get those flaky layers, because think of like how you can kind of like smash butter at different temperatures and how you can almost like spread it out even when it's hard. Shortening doesn't have any of that. Even when it's cold, it has less plasticity. So it doesn't roll out into these beautiful strips in your pie dough. It kind of just like incorporates and lays flat. So in addition to bringing a ton of flavor to your pie dough, butter also improves the texture of it. And so that's why you'll all often see like a combination of shortening or lard and butter because you butter has everything we want, but sometimes people want it to be a little bit cheaper or they want to have more tenderness. And so they're shortcutting that by using a different type of fat. I also just, I honestly feel like all butter crusts are easier to work with. Yes, you have to have a little bit more like muscle when you're rolling them out while they're really cold or pounding them flat to roll them out when they're really cold because butter is so strong, but the end result will just be so much better. I'm just so excited by this conversation. I can't even tell you that like geeking out on this <laughs> level is so fun. So I'm going to talk to you about filling for a little bit. And then we also are going to talk to Lauren Coe, who I'm so excited about. But first, let's quickly hear from our sponsors this week, including Oregon Fruit, makers of our absolute favorite canned fruit for pies, made with zero high fructose corn syrup and packed in BPA-free cans. Holiday baking season is upon us, and well, we are tired. <laughs> so tired. But at the same time, more than ever, we're longing for connectedness and holiday rituals that bring us closer together. While these things may seem at odds, we're here to tell you that they aren't, thanks to brands like Oregon Fruit that help make holiday baking easier. For over 85 years, bakers have trusted Oregon Fruit's canned cherries, berries, and specialty fruit for its quality and delicious results. We join them for all of that and unparalleled convenience. Oregon fruit is everything you dream of in a grocery store shortcut. It saves you time and effort without any sacrifice of quality or flavor. In fact, it elevates your baking. How else can you bake with red tart cherries canned with just two simple ingredients, cherries and water, that are also non-GMO project verified, contain zero high fructose corn syrup, and compact in cans with BPA-free linings. And hey, Though we're all about making holiday baking easy, longtime listeners know that we also love using Oregon fruit in our savory cooking and, of course, cocktails. We've got Instagram evidence to prove it. We sure do. Join us in stocking our holiday pantries with Oregon fruit. You can find them at your local grocery store and online at walmart.com or Amazon. Megan, I have such exciting news. The award-winning podcast, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, is back with an all-new season. This time, you'll hear stories narrated by incredible women from the worlds of art, music, business, and sports about amazing immigrant women from all over the planet that have helped change the world in so many ways. I know! 
Ella and I love to listen, and this season we've been hearing stories about women, including Carmen Miranda, an acclaimed dancer and movie star from Brazil, Teresa Lee, an activist working to bring dreamers out of the shadows, and Noor Inayat Khan, a princess who became a spy. I love that you listen with Ella, and you know what? I listen with Oliver, too. Research shows that only 19% of children's books showcase women with jobs or career ambition. The Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls podcast is an amazing resource for parents of children of any gender to inspire, educate, and instill confidence in all little rebels everywhere. The new season started on September 15th. Catch up now with your little rebel. You can find the Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls award-winning educational podcast on your favorite podcast player. Okay, Ooh, we got a lot Megan, to say about Wow, we've pie. got like, and we've just like done definitions and dough. We want to talk to we Lauren. A lot She's about fat. I know. Well, <laughs> you know, it's the good Ooh, stuff. That's where it's at. Yeah, that's where it's at. After we speak to Lauren, I just want to make sure that everybody hangs with us because we're going to also talk about shortcuts. We've made a lot of jokes about how pie is actually not easy. It's the opposite of easy as pie. But we're going to talk to you about ways to make pie easy because there are lots of fun, creative ways to do that. Okay, so quickly before we talk to Lauren, talk to us about blind baking. Oh, I love this question because I think this is a place that people get tripped up, especially in recipes, because we talk about like, pie weights or using dried beans for blind baking, but then it's confusing because some recipes call for par baking and all, and they're a little bit different. Par baking is like when you're going to make a custard pie, but the custard takes less time to bake than the crust will to bake. So you bake the the empty pie shell, although not really empty. You want to line it with parchment paper or cheesecloth and put those pie weights or those dry beans in it. Also, you can use sugar as a pie weight, and then you have this delicious sort of um, toasted sugar to use later. Ooh, I love that. Yes. I feel like actually a guest told us about that. Was it Shauna Seaver? It might be. I think it might have been. And I've been using that ever since. But so for pie baking, you're going to bake the pie until it's like lightly, the pie crust until it's lightly golden brown. You're not going to bake it to its like crispiest, crunchiest. You're baking it so that the custard and the pie shell are done at the same time. Now, blind baking is a technique that you use for pie fillings like like lemon curd or cranberry curd, anything that doesn't require more cooking. So you fully bake the pie. Same thing. You're going to line it with parchment paper, cheesecloth, and then put some weight on it so that your pie crust doesn't bubble up. And you're going to fully bake it. And then For some recipes that call for blind baking, you want the pie crust to still be warm from the oven when you add the filling so that they both set and cool together. And for some, you want to let the pie crust cool completely. I'm thinking of those gorgeous chiffon pies. That's one where you don't want to add your cool filling to your hot crust. Okay. I can't believe that we've only just made it through crust. (laughs) I know. But... I think this is a great time to chat with Lauren. 
who makes the most beautiful, vibrant fillings and toppings. I mean, her pies are absolutely to die for. And also what we learn is that you guys, she's not just all about the looks. Like she puts a lot of time and thinking into the flavor of her pies and these creative like irreverent, adventurous combinations. So if you guys don't already know who Lauren Co. is, you're going to be so excited. She has an account called Loco Kitchen. She's an artist, a writer, a self-taught home baker. Her colorful geometric style has made all hell bake loose on the frontier of contemporary pie art. You see how we did that? And her iconic signature spoke design has been dubbed the Modern Lattice. Her work has been featured in like everywhere, basically, but from Vogue to Martha <laughs> Bakes. And her creations continue to inspire globally from Seattle, Washington, where Lauren lives with her husband, Ben, and their bear dog, Santi. She has a new book coming out. We're going to link to it, Pyometry, and it's so absolutely gorgeous. It would make a fantastic gift. So without further ado. Lauren, in your book, you say this. You say, despite a lack of professional culinary, pastry, or design training, and the fact that I've always been miserable at math, I can relate, I've spawned an entire movement of modern geometric pie design around the world, which is so true and so amazing. So if it's not you being a math wizard or a pro pie baker, then what skill is key to your awe-inspiring pies? Like, what's the magic? Well, one part of it is patience. I think some of the designs that I have included in the book or that I create and kind of share on my Instagram account take a little bit of time. Um, it's not so much technique or fancy equipment or, you know, as I mentioned, professional training, but um, you have to be willing to devote a little bit of time to kind of creating these things, but also patience in kind of learning a new task. So I made my very first pie ever four years ago. I, you know, didn't really know much about it, didn't have a lot of experience. And um, it's just, you know, the patience of making it over and over and over again and learning by experience. You know, patience plays out in both executing kind of these designs, but also in learning something new and sticking with it until you're kind of happy with it. And then also just a desire to do something fun. I mean, I kind of got into this and continue to do it because I enjoy it. So I think if this feels like something that's not for somebody, then I encourage them to find what makes them happy. And if this feels like something that they might enjoy, then to give it a go. I love that because this idea of patience in a very like in a cooking or baking context I think can feel, I don't know, intimidating <laughs> in some ways, especially for inexperienced cooks. But when you broaden your understanding of patience to this concept of taking your time to learn a new task, to kind of revel in the learning process and, you know, like slowly inch your way towards mastery and just thinking of it as like a whole new skill just feels different than trying to like have patience to make this one beautiful pie because the holidays are coming up or something like that. So I love this context. When you first said it, I laughed because I was like, oh, I'm so not patient with baking. <laughs> 
then <laughs> as you describe it, you're like drawing me in. Like if I see it as like this investment in a whole new skill and going way beyond just cooking one pie for a special occasion or a meal is really inspiring. Totally. And the great news about, you know, this kind of pie undertaking is that you will always have something to show for it. So even if you're in the beginning of your journey and you've never made a pie, if you kind of, you know, let that patience play out that very first time, you will still have a pie to show for. Um, so even as you're learning along the way, you still get to enjoy the fruits of your labor, whether you're a beginner or an expert. Yeah, guys, you get to eat pie. Exactly. I love this idea, too, that patience is an ingredient in pie. Like you have to have patience in order to pull off these gorgeous pies, which, Lauren, yours are stunning. And we want to know if someone wants to build their own gorgeous pies without following a recipe or even using like a family heirloom recipe, what are some things that they should consider? Well, the golden rule of pie baking is to keep everything cold. So whatever sort of formula or recipe that you're using or not using, um, make sure your ingredients are cold. I like to work with all butter pie dough. So I always pull out my butter right when I need it. I keep it in the fridge at all times. And then when I'm about to roll out dough, I pull it out straight from the fridge to the countertop to roll. I don't let it sit out and get to room temp or get soft and sticky. And then similarly, once I've kind of constructed that pie top design, I stick it back in the fridge or the freezer to fully chill down before baking. And that kind of helps preserve that pristine design that you worked so hard on while it kind of is subjected to high heat for an extended period of time. And how about for design elements? Because what I one of the things that I just love about your pies is that I'm sure you get a lot of attention for the beautiful designs on top of the pies. But I love, love, love how you play with color and how the fillings have color. And you clearly think about, you know, how that's going to relate to the color of whatever it is you put on top. And then the crusts even have color, which makes me so happy. I don't know why. It's just like such a like you've thought through every element. So if someone's, you know, again, using an heirloom or family, you know, recipe and they want to like experiment with the way that it looks this year, like, do you think color is the place to start or the design on top? I think it's everything kind of playing together and mingling happily. I think color obviously has a high impact Um, especially unorthodox ones. Traditionally, pie is a very rustic, classic dessert that's a delicious golden brown, but kind of infusing some color in there is a fun way to put a twist on it. But I also like to say that even though I kind of originally got into this for the art of it, the bottom line is that this art medium is edible, so it has to taste good. And so, you know, playing with color can be really fun and also playing with flavor contrast Um, is also really key. And finding ways to kind of fuse both of those together can be um, especially striking. Um, So, you know, think about either talking about colored crusts on pies or some of these colorful tarts that I do. 
Um, for example, you can have a cranberry tart that's this really rich, beautiful kind of red or magenta-hued filling. And then I like to think about, you know, colors that contrast really well. So dragon fruit with the white and black speckles or mango with the bright yellow yes. or, you know, it's fall. So persimmons are in season, which have a really beautiful orange color. Um, so kind of thinking what flavors taste good together, but also play nicely visually. Yeah, that's so important because I do think that sometimes you look at food art accounts and you're like, that's gorgeous, but mm, like, is that going to work? Like, like do I really want there? to eat that? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's really important to me that um, obviously I love the design um, creation process and, you know, creating something new every time, but ultimately the bottom line is flavor. So it has to taste good um, and ideally also look good. So, okay. Some of the tools that you talk about in the book that help you create a dynamic visual design, edible flowers, vegetable powders, exotic fruits, but what if someone's working on a budget? Totally. If you could only invest in like one or two like unusual pantry items that will really like go the distance for you in experimenting with the, you know, look of your pie, what would they be? I mean, I don't even think you have to look at, you know, high ticket or unusual items. I talk a lot in the book about using what you have, whether that's equipment or ingredients. So um, for example, right now it's fall. So things that are in season right now and, you know, probably on sale at the grocery store are fruits like apples and pears. And luckily for us, they come in a variety of colors. So maybe you get one green apple, one yellow apple, one red apple, and one kind of, you know, marbly speckled reddish apple. And in my, I have a pear tart in there that can easily be applied with apple in the design. Slice all those apples up and kind of intersperse those colors, and you have something really striking to present to your dessert table. Um, but that is well within maybe your budget and easily accessible at any sort of neighborhood grocery store or market. And so, you know, part of what I do is just kind of looking around in my kitchen at what I have on hand or, you know, what's easily accessible. Also, the equipment that I use isn't that fancy. So for this particular pear or apple tart, it's just, you know, a chef's knife or any sort of knife and a cutting board. So whether you're, you know, starting out or on a budget or, you know, have some room or freedom, um, it's all about kind of looking at what you have and making it work for you. So I love that. I love how creativity is the thing that makes high art pies accessible to everyone. It's like really looking at what you have and just being creative. You mentioned a chef's knife and a cutting board. I want to talk a little bit about other pie baking tools. I know you lean a little bit on tart pans instead of traditional pie pans. Can you tell us about some of your favorites? And so pie pans and including like, do you love certain rolling pins? Do you use pizza cutters a lot? Talk to us about the tools for beautiful pies. Yeah, so I feel like my toolkit is pretty simple and it really depends on what I'm making. So for pies, I go with a USA aluminum pie tin that kind of has this like, I don't want to say serrated bottom, but it's, it has this kind of texture on the bottom that helps 
direct air and heat so that you never have soggy bottoms, which obviously nobody wants soggy bottoms. Um, And it's pretty (laughs) economical to find online. And then if I'm making tarts, I use a a different tart pan, one that has a removable bottom. The volume is a little bit less. And that's for, you know, hands-on baking in terms of rolling pin. I have a simple kind of, I think it's a French tapered rolling pin. But, you know, to be quite honest, this is the one that somebody gave to me when I got married as a gift. Um, And that's just kind of, I've gotten used to it. And it's the one that I kind of reach for because I am now accustomed to its weight and feel. But um, I personally don't feel that a rolling pin has that much bearing on your, your pie making and pie art. So uh, whichever one you're most comfortable using is the one that you should use, even if that's just a wine bottle or, you know, something round and flat that you can use here, to roll here. out. I love the yeah. shout out to the wine bottle as a rolling pin. I mean, <laughs> sometimes that could be more common in your kitchen than a rolling pin. Yep. So yes. that's what you've got. <laughs> Um, And then in terms of other design tools, I do use a little pastry wheel roller cutter situation (laughs) and a ruler to kind of cut straight lines and cut dough strips. Um, I actually use a ruler less for measuring than I do just as a straight edge guide. But, you know, if you don't have a pastry ruler, you can easily use a paring knife to cut your dough. Um, And if you don't have a ruler, you could be like me when I made my first pie and had just moved into a tiny apartment from across the country. I used a giant cookie sheet as a straight line guide. It's a little unwieldy, but saves you from purchasing any sort of additional equipment. Um, And then, you know, one other design item that I find really helpful, but is, you know, sort of a luxury good is a set of shape cutters. Um, And it's really nice because one little tin of shape cutters comes with, I think, like eight to 10 different shapes, and each shape has three different sizes. And that can go a long way to creating a lot of different designs. Again, alternatively, if you don't have one of those, or um, maybe your kitchen is tiny, you don't have space for additional stuff, you can also use a knife to manually cut out shapes as well. It might take a little bit longer, but these designs can be easily adaptable with or without this equipment. Okay. So paper and pencil. (laughs) I'm curious (laughs) if those are your tools too. Like, have you ever made stencils or do you plan out your designs and draw them first? Yeah. So I actually never sketch things out beforehand. I rarely draw things. I think in my book, in the end pages, I have a series of sketches of all the designs. And that was kind of my reward as I was recipe testing. Once I finalized a recipe, I got to take a little break, sit at my desk and draw out this final design. And that also, yeah, it was really fun. And it also kind of helped give a macro view of everything that I had in the book and helped me organize the recipes and designs and make sure I covered a wide range of different designs and colors. But in terms of, you know, drawing beforehand or planning out designs, I usually just kind of get a general idea in my head when I'm setting out to make something. And then I just go for it and see where that particular creative session takes me. I find that if I have too detailed of a plan or an idea, I just I generally tend to get frustrated because dough and fruit and vegetables don't always cooperate in the same way. And, you know, sometimes drawing a design with pen or pencil 
is much easier than, you know, cutting out those particular shapes from a very ripe mango or, you know, dough on a summer day. So that's so interesting. And I think it speaks to this idea of like being flexible and going back to what you said in the beginning and having patience and seeing where the creative process takes you. It's so true. I'm a planner. I'm that person who would draw something out. And I can imagine a ton of my frustration coming from having set an expectation of what I want the ingredients to do. And when you're taking on a project like this, there are so many places where that could go quote unquote wrong. Whereas if you don't have that framework that like, this is what I'm going for. So getting this is wrong. You then see so many more possibilities for how to use however it comes out. There is no wrong. Right. Um, When you're just kind of headed in a general direction, just enough, you know, to give you some structure. But I feel like the satisfaction with the final product is always higher when your expectations are more manageable. This is so funny, but it reminds me of our favorite meal planning idiom. I know meal planning and pie couldn't feel further apart, but we say plan your work and then work your plan. So it's like you can buy all the ingredients for what you think you want to make. But once you get in the kitchen, if you need to go a different direction, that can be incredibly fruitful and satisfying too. Exactly. Okay. Let's talk about crust because I think this is like a really big question that people have. You said that you like to use an all butter pie crust, which I just want to say here, here, I absolutely agree. And one of the joys of working with like a super cold all butter crust is you get to take a little aggression out on it, trying to like pound (laughs) it out. Maybe that's a little revealing of me. But you also add like flavors into your pastry dough to change how they look and how they taste. Do you have a go-to like outside of your just traditional all butter crust? Do you have a favorite flavored crust that you like to work with? Yeah, actually, that's an interesting thing about a lot of my colored pie doughs is that adding these natural fruit powders and fruit fruit juices or vegetable juices to bring in that extra element of color doesn't actually add flavor to it, which is really fun because then you can make all these dessert pies with colors like green or orange that are made with, you know, carrot juice or spinach juice without it tasting like, you know, a sweet dessert covered in a salad. Um, So that gives you some really fun (laughs) flexibility. And yeah, I mean, I have my basic all butter pie dough and I basically work off that formula and just kind of substitute the water, fruit juice or vegetable juice um, when I want to bring in some color and kind of as added insurance for color. Occasionally, I will also add some vegetable powder or fruit powder because obviously things will alter a little bit. Colors will change, especially since we're using natural coloring as it bakes. Um, And so sometimes it can be helpful to have, you know, a little bit of extra support in in the color department to make sure that your final product turns out looking as good as it does going in. And you talk about preferring tarts, or maybe that's just what I've kind of figured based on looking at your work. Is there a technical reason for that? Or is that just like a personal preference? Um, I think I have a little bit more creative freedom with tarts. Pie dough can be more finicky than, you know, just a fruit topping. Um, And, you know, there's only so many designs, I think, that I can construct with pie dough versus 
feel like with a tart, I have unlimited fruits and vegetables and color combinations and flavor combinations before me. And many of my tarts are, you know, the, the crust is baked and the filling is either cooked or baked briefly. But otherwise, the fruit topping is fresh. And what I share on my Instagram feed is basically what I would serve to somebody. So one, I have a lot more creative flexibility. And two, there's this kind of added level of what you see is what you get, which is always nice. I want to come to your house. I want to serve <laughs> I know. on your Instagram feed. Yeah, come on over. We really want to know what are your favorite winter holiday pies? You know, whether people are celebrating Thanksgiving or doing something a little less conventional this year, what would you bring to a potluck? Totally. So I am somebody who just naturally is always looking to do something a little different. I always want to put kind of a twist on things. And I hope that that's evident in, you know, kind of the designs and flavors that I've put in my book. Um, You know, the classic is an apple pie. So I'm always thinking, well, how can I make an apple pie, but make it a little bit different, make it original, maybe that's adding a flavored caramel. So I have an apple pie in my book with gingerbread caramel that tastes and smells like Christmas. So it has a lot of those classic flavors, but also gives that extra dimension of something extra. Oh my God, I want it now. (laughs) Yeah, it's super cozy. Um, And then in terms of, you know, November holidays, I have a pumpkin pie in there with a layer of black sesame. So I basically make the pumpkin pie filling and then I split it in half and then swirl in some black tahini or some, you know, black sesame paste in. So then one, you get that visual when you slice it, that there's like a bottom black layer and then a top orange layer, but it also gives kind of this note of bitterness and extra flavor where again, you get those classic holiday flavors that maybe the traditionalists at your table, you know, must have, but you also get to kind of bring something new and reframe a classic into something that's modern and original. If you had to pick, it's like picking, we always say this, it's like picking a favorite child, but (laughs) Megan and I are here for that. (laughs) We also know that, you know, your favorite child can change day to day. Today, if you had to pick your favorite pie from Pieometry, your new Mm -hmm. cookbook, which is so absolutely breathtakingly gorgeous, which would it be? Oh, this one's always tough, (laughs) of course. Can I do like a favorite design and a favorite filling flavor? Sure, we'll let you. We'll let you do that. thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll go with the flavor first. There is a white carrot miso pie in my book that um, I really, really love. Uh, One of the big ironies of this whole pie journey is that I don't really have a sweet tooth. Um, (laughs) That is so funny. (laughs) I actually don't love eating pie all that much. I (laughs) reach for savory ones. We'll keep those in our household. Um, But pretty much all the sweet things we kind of force upon our friends, family, and neighbors to help us keep the food waste at bay and also to uh, share the wealth. Anyways, this white carrot miso pie I love because it has a subtle sweetness. It's not so rich and cloying. And then with the added miso, it has this kind of touch of savoriness that keeps it interesting and balanced as well. Um, And then I pair it with a black sesame crust that gives a really fun aesthetic with the white and black speckle, but also gives an extra kind of textural element with that added crunch. 
And, you know, it's made with like a pound or two of carrots. So you can kind of justify eating a salad for dessert and call it a day. I I actually earmarked that one for my husband because he loves carrot cake. And I thought that this would really appeal to him. He also is like down for more savory desserts. It looks totally. Yeah. I think this kind of walks that fine line of, is this, uh, you know, a dessert course or maybe a cheese plate at the end? And, you know, I really love it for how it kind of straddles both worlds. Okay. And your favorite design? Um, I would say the tan ground design um, because one, it's visually striking, but two, there's so many ways that you can take the design. So you can do it as I presented with um, multiple colors. So I think I use the black and white dragon fruit. I use the yellow of a mango and I also use kiwi, which gives lots of flavor and texture. But, you know, you, if you have one fruit on hand, you could do one full slate of tangrams. That's one color still looks really striking. Um, you can kind of do a crescent shape on your tart surface. So maybe you only have so much patience or so much time today. And you don't want to fill the entire tart surface. You can kind of scatter um, those tangrams on one side. Um, you can also play with flavor. So again, it's fall, persimmons are in season. You could do tangrams with persimmons and pair that with the cranberry curd tart in the book. Yeah, I think any way you can, you can make tangrams a little bit bigger. So you're cutting fewer shapes. You can make them smaller. I, I just love that you can really exert a lot of your creativity with this kind of design formula. And the beauty of it is that you don't have to worry about cutting precise shapes that look all the same. It's kind of, you know, the more varied your shapes are, the more texture and, you know, kind of interest you bring into the design. And yeah, I feel like it's, again, also very simple in terms of equipment. You just need a knife and a cutting board and you are good to go. Yes. And it's both playful and nostalgic is something that I love about it. Yes. Okay. Last question. Pressure's on. If there is just one easy way that people can take their favorite pie recipe to the next level, what is it? Mm. I'm just thinking find ways to infuse spice and flavor. Um, so we'll go with the traditional apple pie. Maybe you're adding, you know, a pinch of cardamom, or maybe you're adding a special caramel, um, which, you know, you could buy at the store. It's a flavor. It could be a flavored caramel that you drizzle in, that you mix with your apple slices before it goes in the oven. And then you drizzle on some more when it's, um, piping hot and coming out of the oven or, you know, mixing in a little bit of spice. Um, kind of similar to the pumpkin pie that I talked about. It's traditional. One easy way is to add an extra little flavored ingredient in there to give it um, some visual variation and some flavor variation as well. So I love that you said that because one of the things that I love about your apple pie is that, you know, we've seen apple caramel pies before, but the gingerbread is part of what makes your special besides the design. And, you know, focusing on flavor first is such a beautiful way to end this because you said it at the top as well. Like at the end of the day, you want your pie to be delicious, you know, and then you kind of work your way from there. So I so appreciate that suggestion. And also 
mentioned cardamom, which is my absolute favorite spice for sweet things. So <laughs> yes. here for that. An easy way is just to rummage through your spice cabinet, see what you have and see yes. how you can pair flavors that way. Totally. Lauren, thank you for taking time to speak with us about pies. Apparently not your favorite topic. I mean, visually, but you don't love to eat pies. I would eat pie over cake any day. I mean, I would too. Okay, and, good. you know, they're also savory <laughs> that pies, makes us happy. so I'm here for that. <laughs> Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a delight. Stacey, the first thing that I'm making from Lauren's book is that gingerbread caramel. I feel like you could drizzle that on like a hundred different pies and just make them incredibly crave-worthy, restaurant-worthy. All of you could honestly drizzle that on a store-bought pie and your family would go nuts. I was going to say that. A hundred percent. That seems like the back pocket (laughs) part of that recipe. Right? Right? I can think of a million other things I want to eat it on too besides pie. Okay, so we got to talk about pie crust. We got to talk about pie design, which is part and parcel of pie crust with Lauren. And I know that you have a ton of shortcut filling ideas. So I don't, I want to make sure we don't wrap out the episode without talking about fillings at all. Even though we talked about types of pie, I wish there was like a magic formula where I could be like, this plus this will give you a million different fillings. Um, But I just want to say that if you're new to pie baking and you want to experiment with fillings, I feel like chess pies and fruit pies are the easiest place to start. I said at the top of the episode, chess pies are really just sugar and eggs. And then you can add tons of different like contrasting flavors to that and make a pie that is delicious. And it's a single crust pie. It's it's not a double crust. You're not having to deal with lattices. I really, really love a buttermilk pie, which is just as it sounds. You're making a chess pie and you're adding a little bit of buttermilk to that egg and sugar, and then you're baking the whole thing. And it bakes up into like a cuttable custard that also has this very thin layer of crispy sugar, almost like a creme brulee on the top of it. You can also make chocolate chess pies, which are flavored with cocoa powder. And sometimes a little bit of chopped chocolate is added, but they're like a really inexpensive way to practice your pie dough and your pie dough shaping and making filling without like using the, all the apples that you pick from the apple orchard. Though I do think apple pie is very easy too. Um, but then you're getting into a double crust. Do you have any like specific, I know you're also a pie queen. Like, do you have any specific questions about filling that you don't feel like we answered? I feel like the one big thing is with fruit pies, thickening them. You know, some people say flour, some people say cornstarch. There are other people who say nothing, just crazy okay, tapioca. Well, I just those nothing people. I've seen tapioca starch. <laughs> arrowroot yes. do you think that which, there is like one good answer or and if not which one is the best at enhancing the natural flavor of the fruit without and thickening without making it gloopy i hate the super thick gloopy fruit fillings yeah it's not my thing i think okay so i 
think that cornstarch is like one of the best universal thickeners. And I also think a lot of people make a mistake of like using a ton of it, especially if they have a juicy fruit like cherries. They're like, oh gosh, I need so much. But honestly, for most fruit pies, you only need a tablespoon or two to thicken the juices. And because it like bakes up clear, it makes for sometimes like a pie that that is like kind of juicy. Like you're not, you're maybe you're going to cut into your apple pie and it's going to kind of almost leak a little bit, but as that pie cools, that filling will continue to thicken. Tapioca starch is really great for, um, gluten-free bakers, but it can be a little bit temperamental and it does have some color to it. Even when it's baked, it's kind of like cloudy. And so that's why I don't default to it. It's also more expensive. I do not like flour for thickening. I don't think the raw flour flavor bakes out enough for me to not be distracted by it in the pie. And sometimes it can do a weird thing with the pie crust where you it it almost feels like the pie crust is underbaked because it's sort of like this layer of the flour that sink to the bottom from the filling. Yes. And I don't like that. Yeah. If you're really nervous about a fruit pie, you can like quickly cook the fruit for filling on the stovetop. You can do this with apples with cherries, with berries even, and, and like get it a little bit thickened with a little bit of cornstarch and then put it into your pie crust. Okay. Um, so I like just a realized. trick to make it easy. Yeah. I had another question and I want this one to be real quick because we need to get into shortcuts okay. for people because everyone's <laughs> like, holy crap, I'm never making pie again. Easy um, as pie, you guys. <laughs> does it matter if you make your fruit filling, your berries, your peaches, your cherries, your apples... You know, I have done, I've done it both ways and I've never really like captured for this and tested for this specifically, adding the flavors, the spices, the cornstarch, and then letting it sit while I roll out the dough versus getting the dough all prepped and ready, mixing my filling and immediately putting it into the pie, shell, dough, whatever, and baking Yeah. Because when you let the fruit sit for a while, it will release its juices. And so you're starting by adding fruit and juice to the pie as opposed to just fruit and letting the juices seep out as the baking process happens. Yeah. Doesn't matter. I like to have my pie crust ready to roll, mix up my filling and pour it right in. There are some instances, like if you really want like a super tall apple pie, you might want to pre-mix your filling or you can use the Alton Brown trick of like you toss your apples with a little bit of sugar and salt and you're basically like kind of draining the liquid out so you can control the height. There's less shrinkage of the fruit filling underneath the double crust. Because you're going to then drain that liquid. You're not adding it. Yes, because you're going to drain that liquid and not add it. But if you're just like making a really simple apple pie and you're going to just enjoy that for your family, you're not worried about the presentation of it, I, I see no reason to let your filling sit before you put it in the pie crust. Okay. Let's talk shortcuts <laughs> for all yes. the people okay. who are like, that I is interesting. <laughs> and now I will always buy a store-bought pipe. Okay. I think that this is something you excel at much more than me. I get too high high pie dreaming. And I want to know your favorite store-bought crust, homemade, like you've got the pie crust, maybe it's store-bought, maybe it's homemade, and you just need like a quick filling idea. Well, okay. So actually, I don't have many ideas in that realm. I'll tell you what I do have. Ideas for how to buy a pie. 
and make it seem more store-bought. Even better, Billis. Okay? Even better. Like, we're talking about, okay. like, by the pie. Because, you know, when you truly, when you look at Lauren Coe's account or you pick up her book, Pieometry, which I really encourage you to do. It's just gorgeous to have around, if nothing else. You know, you're going to be inspired. When inspiration strikes, like, definitely go for it. But especially around the holidays when I know, like, pie is on the mind, but also we have so much else going on. Like, buy the pie. Like when I, you know, I don't know if we, I think it's one of our earliest episodes, aggressively helpful tips for holiday cooking. It's like episode number five or something. I feel like. Yes. We talk about this. We're like, choose what you want to make. If you're really into baking a pie, then bake the pie and get something else shortcut. But if you're making a turkey or you're making, I don't know, who cares, a roast, a ham, anything, and you just don't have time to do it all buy the pie. And then with a store-bought pie, when it's at room temperature, there's a couple of things you can do to dress it up, to make it feel homemade, to make it feel special. You know, homemade whipped cream will go so, so, so far. And remember that you can make chocolate whipped cream. You can make cinnamon whipped cream. You can make maple bourbon whipped cream. There's lots of ways that you can do it. So, and you don't have to just do it for serving on the side. Like you can make a big thing of whipped cream and put like almost kind of trying to look like meringue, like pile it high and like yes. spread it all around and serve it like that. It's beautiful. I love that idea so much. I'm going to just power through some of these other ideas. If you melt chocolate chips with heavy cream, it's almost like making a ganache, but it makes it nice and it helps the chocolate keep its shine. When you have a cooled pie, whether you've made it homemade or store-bought, because that's what we're encouraging here if you want, (laughs) and just pour that chocolate so that it fills the top of the pie and you're making basically like a chocolate, you know, ganache layer on top and then sprinkle with flaky sea salt. Gorgeous, beautiful. I love this for pumpkin pie or sweet potato pie. If you have a favorite pecan pie filling, but you don't want to like go through the whole thing of making a pecan pie, just make the filling part. It's, you know, it's what? Sugar, brown sugar, buttercream, pecans, basically. And then glop that while it's still hot on top of a cooled like pumpkin or sweet potato pie and spread it out. It's going to like, it's going to start to like firm up pretty quickly, spread it out. Then you have like a pecan pumpkin pie and you've really just done like 10 minutes of work. Brulee the top of your pie. So get like nice, like you can get nice brown sugar or just regular white granulated sugar. And you do need a kitchen torch for this. Yeah, I was going to say, I really like demerara sugar, actually, for brewing the top of pies. I do, too. But you can just do it with regular sugar. It works. Absolutely. So, you know, just cover the top of your pie. Just be careful with the torch. If you don't trust yourself, you may want to get aluminum foil and kind of cover the edges of the pie crust so that you don't burn it. And you're not looking for black, black, burnt, charred sugar. You just want it to get like a beautiful, deep brown and crisp up. You're going to see it's going to like take a second, but then it's going to get like all lacy and deep brown and delicious. A brulee top is good on everything. We talked about caramel sauce because we were so inspired by Lauren's gingerbread caramel. A cream cheese drizzle is always nice. Streusel topping is always nice. Also, Lauren made me think of tahini and how you could take like some oh. store-bought tahini and sweeten it with a, like a little bit of maple syrup and drizzle that on like a pecan pie Beautiful. or any of those like sweet potato or um, pumpkin pies too. Yes. 
You know, you yeah. could take a store-bought pie and get a little biscuit cutter and just go around <laughs> and punch a whole bunch of little tiny quote-unquote pies out of it so it looks individual serving. Put a little whipped cream on top. You know, if you get two store-bought pies, you can probably get, I would say, like eight little minis out of that. That's really um, fun. Also, how freaking cute would that be? And then you can save the leftover pie to make like pie milkshakes or smoothies. Yes. I was going to say eat it yourself while you're prepping, but you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever floats your boat. That too. That too. Um, yes. You know, Lauren gave us a ton of ideas about using fresh fruit cutouts. I mean, that's, I mean, if you look at her feed, you can see it's absolutely stunning. But another thing you can do is get roll out pie dough and, or if you have some that's homemade and then cut out shapes and put that on top if you don't have a double crust pie already. Or even if you do, you could do like little leaves, you know, just use a cookie cutter yeah. or whatever, little pumpkins. I don't know. Ditto um, buying like store-bought cookies and using them as nice. shapes to top. The, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So from top to bottom, how to build a pie, how to doctor a store-bought pie, how to make it delicious and how to make it gorgeous. I cannot believe we covered it all. <laughs> it's insane. How ironic is it that like one of our longest episodes ever will be about pie? I know. Easy pie <laughs> and the thing is, I just said we covered it all. And you know, in our listeners group, they're going to be like, no, you didn't. What about this, 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 and this? Yeah. Which is why y'all should be there. So make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter. You're going to get an exclusive recipe every single week and our favorite pick of the week every single week. You can subscribe at didn'tijustfeedyou.com or follow the link in our Instagram bio. Speaking of Insta, you can find us there and on Facebook as at didn't I just feed you. Just keep in mind that the real Facebook fun is happening in our private Facebook listeners group. The answer to the question to get in is whiskey. Don't add us. It's really a cocktail. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Good Night Just Feed You wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jim Endo. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. Stay sane and well-fed. Until next week. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review. You can also find Stacy and Megan on Facebook and Instagram as Didn't I Just Feed You.